Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. Come presence of God in this place today. Come do what only you can do, God. God, we yield to you. We are open to you. God, may our hearts and our minds and our whole being be receptive to you today. God, you use the word of God to communicate divine truth. You use your word to shed light. God, we pray the anointing of your spirit upon the word to our hearts. God, do something fresh, do something new in us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, singers and musicians. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Judges? Judges chapter 2 in the Old Testament. I want to talk to you about something uh, that is a burden upon my heart as a pastor, as a leader, as a preacher. I want to talk to you about the utmost necessity of passing on the faith to the next generation. You know, when I look at our young people in this church, and I see those that were on the platform today. The average age is probably around 20-something years old. That's pretty awesome. That's awesome. You know, when I was at Nick, the best, the best ever, the best ever. And um, at that picnic, you know, I was looking at our young people, looking at the children, looking at, you know, the youth, and I was talking with a, with a few different people, and, and, you know, I was just saying, wow, these are great kids. These are, these are awesome kids that, that are in our church. And, you know, they, they come into church, they, they love God, they're trying their best to serve him, but, but I was just struck with, with, with the burden, with the passion, with the zeal to want to see them experience God in a more powerful way, in a greater way. You know, in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, we see uh, it's a sobering passage. Would you turn with me to Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 10? Verse 6, and when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord, which he had done the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnath, in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. Verse 10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work of which he had done for the children of Israel. 
You see, it was Joshua. He was the one who followed Moses. We know that, that he succeeded Moses. And, and in Joshua chapter 1, he was given that awesome responsibility to lead uh, the, the people of God, two million plus people, into uh, the land of Canaan and divide it as an inheritance. And God, God spoke to Joshua and said, wherever your feet should tread upon, wherever you walk, I'm going to give you as an inheritance and I'm going to give it to, to my people. And here's Joshua. He goes into the land and, and, and God does some great things, amazing things. And, and now it's at the end of his journey and, and he's about to pass on. And the Bible tells us that the people of God, that the nation of Israel, that they served God, they honored God, they, they worshiped God, they, they loved the Lord, and, and they followed God as long as Joshua and that godly generation led the way, had a prophetic voice, had insight, had, had an anointing, had, had the touch of God upon them. And the Bible says when they passed away, another generation arose, another people, another, uh, another season of life in, in, in the nation of Israel. Now these are still God's chosen people. These is, this is still the nation of Israel. But the Bible says another generation arose who knew not the Lord nor his mighty works that he did. Israel. I don't know about you, but, but that, that strikes a chord in my, my heart, in my spirit. That, that, that stirs me with a passion and a zeal to, to want to see something happen, see something in another generation impacted by the power and the anointing and the glory of God. You see, I'm struck with the critical nature of, of, of having to pass on the faith from one generation to another generation. Not just in word, but in power. To do it passionately, to do it powerfully, and in a meaningful way, hand off the gospel to another generation. I'm talking about passing the faith, passing the baton from one generation to another generation. From the older generation to the younger generation. Now, I don't know where you fit in on this. I don't know what generation you're a part of. I like to consider I'm in the middle. Hope, wishful thinking, but for the most part, I want to just show you a, a short clip from the 2016 Olympics on the importance of executing the importance of adequately and with expertise passing on the baton. Outside the pass, successful to Allison Felix, and down the back stretch they go. So Felix now to English Gardner. And they've dropped the stick. They dropped it. The United States is out. I just remember, you know, getting the baton and, um, you know, running in and having a, a smooth leg and when it went uh, time to hand off, um, feeling contact from the runner um, outside of me and just kind of being thrown off by that. It was just kind of my worst nightmare realized. I mean, I remember the baton leaving my hand and not connecting with her and kind of just being like, not knowing what to think. And here is the U.S. with the lead. 
we were able to go out there and have clean exchanges and get it done. Tori Bowie has a big lead. Here they come for the finish. It's going to be the U.S. Jamaica second. And with the second fastest time ever run, the United States from lane one get the job done and retain their Olympic crown. Here we see in this video clip of the 2016 Olympics, the failure at one point to adequately, strategically, and effectively pass the baton. And you see how critical it is. And thank God they had redemption and they were able to, to get another attempt and another try and they end up winning the gold. And, and thank God uh, for the grace of God that when we fall short, when we fail, when we make mistakes, God gives us another opportunity. Amen? But one of the most, uh, the, the saddest verses of scripture after this passage I just read when it says another generation arose who knew not the Lord nor his mighty works that he had done for Israel. Look at verse 11. Then, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Again, it is critical that you and I as the people of God pass on the faith to another generation. In Judges, the book of Judges is a history of the people of God after the death of Joshua. He was the successor of Moses and then afterwards there would be spiritual leaders that were called judges, not in the Supreme Court justice sense, but they were, they were leaders of the people who would administer justice but also lead them in, in, in uh, battles against uh, the enemies of God's people. But there is a cycle that we find in Judges. The people of God would be blessed. And in their prosperity, they would get comfortable and they would forget God and they would begin to compromise. And what would happen is God would send a chastening arm, uh, his chastening hand against them and other nations would come and, and gain victory over the people of God and bring them into subjection and servitude. And then the people in their desperation and their pain and their suffering, they cry out to God and what would God do in his mercy? He would deliver them and he would restore them. And unfortunately, this cycle happens. If you study the book of Judges, if you read any commentaries, you will hear of this cycle happening over and over and over again. Not too different than what happens in our life sometimes. But that's not the point of my message. But we see in Judges chapter 2 a failure of the older generation to effectively and successfully pass the baton to the younger generation. Or was it a failure on the younger generation to grab a hold of the baton? Or was it a combination of both? I tend to believe it was a combination, a lack on the older generation and a lack on the younger generation. In Judges chapter 2, we see a sobering, convicting, challenging message. The responsibility that we have to 
adequately, effectively, with passion and power, pass on the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a younger generation. You know, I was blown away by a statistic that I read uh, that, that was taken in the church just the last few years. I think it was by George Bonner, who does uh, research of this nature. And he said that just a small percentage of, of young people in their teens and 20s, I think I read one percentage that I, I said it can't be true, and so I did a little more research, but I would say one or two or three percent of our young people have a biblical world view. Meaning that they view life through the prism, through the, the eyeglasses, if you will, of the scriptures and not of the world. This is their worldview. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we must have a biblical worldview because this is the truth. This is the word of God. This is the light of scripture. Not what man says, not what professors say, not what culture says, but what God says. But imagine only a small percentage have a biblical worldview. God help us to change that. Let that statistic be smashed in Jesus' name right here, right now. Let's pass on the faith. Let's receive the faith. They served the Lord all the days of the elders. Joshua's time and even the ones that outlived Joshua. You see, they had seen things. They had experienced things. All the great works of the Lord which he'd done for Israel. What were some of those things? You know, what did they experience? They saw, they experienced God parting the Jordan. Now, I, I was in the Jordan. Some of us, that we, we were in the Jordan. I rebaptized some people in the Jordan. That water was high. That water in the biblical time when, when the Lord parted that water was during flood stage. No small feet. And not only was it parted just a few feet, but actually all the way up north, I think several miles, did the water stop so that the children of Israel could cross over. What else did they see? They saw God just with a shout, without a battering ram, without a cannon. We saw, they saw the walls of Jericho fall down these walls that were impregnable so wide and so high that you could run chariots two or three wide along those walls come down just when the people of God obeyed God and they shouted when God says shout and the walls came down what else did they see what else did they experience Joshua is in a battle they are dividing the land they're driving the enemy out and they're just about to complete the battle just about to defeat them but the sun's going down they needed a little more time they needed a little more sunlight to win this battle so what does Joshua do he says son stand still and God responded and the sun stood still and gave them more daylight and they were able to finish and win the battle that day, they had all the time they needed. See, these are the things that they saw, they experienced. God driving out nations mightier and greater than Israel by his power through his people. They didn't only hear it, but they saw it. They experienced it for themselves. But then another generation arose who did not know the Lord, nor his mighty power. That is striking. That is sobering. That should cause a holy passion and a fiery zeal for God to burn in our hearts. 
Like David when he faced Goliath, where he was being rebuffed and criticized by his brothers, he declared, is there not a cause? Elijah burdened by a nation drawn away into idolatry by evil Jezebel, he said, the God who answers by fire, he is the Lord. Jesus in the temple, when there was too much merchandising and too little prayer, he drives out the charlatans and the hirelings and he declares, zeal for my house has eaten me up. Paul in the book of Acts, when he beholds the city of Athens fully given over to idolatry, the Bible says his spirit was stirred within him. What am I saying? I'm saying that may God just just plant within us. May God stir up within our hearts a holy zeal, a holy passion to see a move of God that another generation could enter into the power and the glory of God's presence. May something stir within us. The Bible says when all that generation, the Joshua generation, the elders after Joshua, it says they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know what God had done. When I'm reading this, when I'm studying this, I say, how could this be? How did this happen? It's a challenge to all of us this morning. Someone has once said, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat history. How do we keep history from repeating itself. You see, there's a challenge to all of us, the older generation and the younger generation. See, the older generation, we ought to know God personally. We ought to have fresh experiences with the Holy Spirit. We ought to encounter God right now, right here. That's why we exhort you, we encourage you, we challenge you to worship, to praise God, to press in and to know God in the spirit and in the word of God. We encourage you to encounter God in prayer, prayer times at the altar, encounter God in the preaching of the word, encounter God in times of intercession, times of worship, encounter God in every hour and every time we meet together. The younger generation is to seek after God and his power. In humility, learning from and receiving from your elders. You know, I've seen such so many shifts in, in culture that has affected the church. There used to be a day when elders were honored and respected. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. Some of you don't know the Bible. Some of you forgot where you came from. I know I love to go overseas. I love to go to Africa. I love to go to Central America. I love to go to places where the people of God, they know about honoring the elders. I went to a, a, a somewhere not too, a few months ago, and, and, and people were in line, and some person stepped back and let an older gentleman go. And I said to that person, it was obvious they were dark complected. I said, you must be from Africa. But it wasn't because they looked African, but because I understood and I know they knew about honoring their elders. Talk to friends, friend of missionary to China, anybody from Asian descent. They, they understand about honoring elders. We've lost that. 
old people are now pushed aside, cast aside. Young people fail to honor and acknowledge and, and, and give reverence to older people. Some, some places, oh, I won't get into that, let's move along. And then in some places, old people don't uh, appreciate the younger generation. You see, it's not an either or, it's a both in. You need the older, you need the younger. Some churches, they're all gray here and the churches are dying. They need some young people. Some churches are all young people. They need the wisdom and the stability and, and the vision of the older people. It's not either, either or, it's both ends. Gee, God said, I'll pour on my spirit on the young and on the old. I'll pour on my spirit on all flesh, Jews and Gentile, white flesh, black flesh, red flesh, yellow flesh, all flesh. In Christ Jesus, we are no longer Jew or Gentile. We're one. I don't identify myself as an Italian Pentecostal. I don't identify myself. I appreciate my culture, but it's not about being Italian. It's about being a Christian. White blood, red blood, Italian blood, whatever blood don't flow through my veins, the blood of Jesus flows through my veins. Can I, can I just do, throw one joke in there? Any, any Hispanics here? All right, you're going to love me after this one. It's just a joke. I know, I know it's politically, cultural, correct, and all that nonsense, but... Do you know what you call two Spanish men playing in a one-on-one -on -one game of basketball? One-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> I thought that was good. Do you know what? All right, let's do an Italian joke. I'm Italian, okay, so it's all good. Do you know why time goes by so fast in Italy? Every time you turn around, a day goes by. <laughs> Amen. Let's move along. Praise the Lord before I lose the anointing. <laughs> How did I get there? How did I get here from there? <laughs> Come on. God's plan. God's plan. Amen. Is for all people. The older generation must not only testify, but demonstrate the power of God. Turn with me to, to, to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Look what the word of God says. We will not hide them from their children. Telling to the generations. Did you get that? Telling to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works which he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded for our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare to their children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. See, we all need to have a vital living relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, I have, I have been blessed to attend two different Bible colleges. One 
uh, in Zion, now North Point, uh, a powerful, powerful Pentecostal Bible training center started by a woman of God with a vision that would grow to hundreds of students and have missionaries around the world. And I would go to a school. Now get this. Now this will blow you away even if you don't realize it. This school my wife and I went to, we went there. It was no, we didn't pay no tuition. We ate there. We lived there. We were instructed by some of the greatest professors. We were in chapel. We, we had the blessing of experiencing the anointing and the power of God, seeing miracles, seeing the Holy Spirit move, seeing God do incredible things, living in the midst of, of, of a school that was so powerful. I would, every Wednesday, we went to chapel when, Monday through Friday. Every Wednesday was called Practical Theology Chapel. And a woman by the name of Sister Mary Campbell Wilson, who was discipled by the founder, Sister Gibson, she would share in those chapels, she would talk about the miracles, how, how the school was founded, how God miraculously provided, uh, uh, revivals that happened, uh, the spirit of God would move, classes would be shut down for two weeks while God would move through that place. Bodies would be all over the floor, weeping and crying out to God, experiencing God. And she would tell these stories, and you know, that was my favorite chapel. I would sit on the edge of my seat in rapt attention, listening and hearing and, and, and being so inspired and so enthralled by the stories of Zion, of what God had done. But you know what? It wasn't just sitting there uh, listening and enjoying the stories. It stirred up a holy passion within my heart to want to see God move in my own life. You see, I am mocked by God. I, I have experienced the fire of God and I can never be satisfied with anything. You see, when you're born in the fire, you can't live with just the smoke. You have to have God's power, God's anointing, God's glory in your life. I've had the opportunity to travel to some of the greatest revivals in the last hundred years that this country has seen in Brownsville, in, 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 in parts of U.S., in Canada. And I have seen and I've experienced the glory of God touching my life. And what that has done, it's, it's not made me satisfied or made me uh, feel holier than somebody or better than somebody, but it's created within me a desire for more. You see, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, it creates a holy hunger and an appetite for more from God. Can you say amen? Come on, some of you need to say amen this morning. Some of you need to be engaged and, and receive and, and reach out and put a demand on the anointing and say, God, do it in my life. Do it again. I am not satisfied. I'm still hungry. Psalm 42 says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What am I talking about? I'm talking about having an alive, up-to-date, in real-time encounter and experience with God. What does that mean? Does that mean you experience a miracle every day? No. 
but you have an ongoing, genuine relationship with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It means there are answered prayers. It means there are fresh revelations from God's word. It means that you're serving actively in a local church in vital connection with other believers of like precious faith. It means you're still loving, still caring, still sharing. You see, the younger generation, the challenge to you, teenagers, 20-something-year-olds, I'll include the 30-something-year-olds. You could say thank you later. (laughs) The younger generation needs to be hungering and thirsting and desiring and longing for an encounter with the living God. I remember when I was first saved, just before I turned 18 years old, and I remember my early days in Christ, just having this hunger and thirst for more of God. And I'm like 19 years old, and a good friend of mine that, that was saved at that time, we, we became very close, and we'd hang out all the time, go to church together, and just, just love God. It was a strategic time in my life. But I remember there was this one brother, his name was Brother Harju, and uh, I don't know how we found out about him, but, but he was like in his 70s or 80s. But he had experienced some revivals in his life, And he had some stories to tell. And I remember going over his house with my friend Frank and just sitting at his feet and just hearing the stories of God's glory, of God's power. Here I am, I'm I'm 18, 19 years old. But you know what? It was just that hunger and that thirst and that passion to want to hear, to want to hear the stories And what did it do? It stirred up a hunger for greater things in my life. You see, a younger generation needs to see in an older generation a passion and a fire for God. Not just words. They don't need rules. They don't need rituals. They need relationship. They need to know that you know God and that you could impart something. You could pray and you could give something that you have. And you know, you see, you know, we teach what we know, but we impart who we are. Anybody can teach theoretically. The Bible says they they didn't know. You know what? They did know. It's just that they just knew theoretically, but not experientially. How could they not know? The whole culture of of Jewish culture, of culture back then, was an oral culture. They they would pass things. They would just tell stories. How could they not know? It was that that they heard it, but they never experienced it for themselves. Maybe they took it lightly. Maybe they disregarded it. Maybe they were too distracted with their iPhones. Yeah, they had iPhones back then. Look it up in the Bible. J.K., You see, it's not enough to know about something theoretically. You need to know it experientially. You know, my wife, before she had gone to Africa, she she had helped me prepare for every trip. She would help with the tickets online, help me buy supplies, help me pack. Um, I mean, she, she was so you know, helpful. She was sometimes too helpful. I was thinking she wanted to see me go, get rid of me, but I was assured that it was purely out of love. But when I was there, she would pray for me. She would text me. She would email me. I mean, we would keep in touch. And then I'd come back and I would tell my stories, the testimonies, the 
the challenges, the, the many blessings and answers to prayer. You know, um, just, and then she would see my videos, my pictures, and, and she knew about Africa, but she only knew about it theoretically until she came to Africa. And then at the, the first night we stayed, it was in Nairobi, Kenya. The next morning when we woke up, uh, mosquito net didn't work, our fan didn't work, but the mosquitoes were working overtime. <laughs> I counted on my wife's back over 20 mosquito bites. And it was then that my wife understood and knew Africa. You see, it's one thing to know about something. It's one thing to hear about something, but it's quite another thing to experience it for yourself. I want to challenge a younger generation today to hunger and thirst after God. To have your own personal encounter with Jesus. See, because the Bible says they didn't know the Lord nor his power, then they did evil in the sight of the Lord. There has to be something greater than the things of this world. There has to be a greater pull. There has to be a greater lure than the things of this world. And you know what that is? It is the power and the presence of God. When God touches you, when you encounter God, that will keep you, that will keep you, that will remind you, that will cause you to be ever mindful of the genuineness and the reality of who God is. Someone once said, revivals really make it to the next generation unless the younger generation has its own personal encounter with God. You can never live off of what your parent or the previous generation saw and experienced. You have to have your own. And the older generation needs to think beyond ourselves. We need to think of the next generation. In a culture that values 15 minutes of fame, we need to be people who want to have a lifetime of influence. You know, mushrooms can grow up overnight, but an oak tree, big and sturdy, takes many, many, many years. So my question is, you want to be a mushroom? Or you want to be an oak tree? You know, the story is told, and I conclude with this. You've heard of the Pied Piper. Germany was suffering from a plague of rats, and a stranger appeared in town wearing multicolored clothing. This is a, a child's children's story, uh, uh, a fable. But he promised the solution to rid the town of the rats for a certain sum of money. The men of the town agreed to pay him in exchange for his services. And the stranger pulled a musical pipe from his pocket and begins to play a shrill tune that lures all of the rats to the river where they're drowned. However, in spite of the success, the people of the town refused to pay the piper. So in retaliation, he comes back and with a soft sounding horn, he begins to play and he allures over a hundred children while the parents are in church. He lures these children away in retaliation and payback, never to be seen again. That's a child's tale. I don't know how much of it's for children. 
But the, mor- the moral of the story is, if we don't have a powerful encounter with God, the young people will be lured away by the things of this world. Why is it easy to worship foreign gods? Why is it easy to worship idols? Because they promise instant and easy and immediate gratification. The things of God, the ways of God, require self-denial, require commitment, require faith and trust. But you see, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of that way is death. And the ways of the world, the ways of idols, the ways of, of of, of the things of this world will only lead to death. But the things of God will fulfill us in a way that nothing else can. Would you stand together with me this morning? I'm going to ask the singers and the musicians to come back. Another generation needs to arise who know God and know his mighty power. I thank God for what he's doing in our our young people, he's doing in this church. I thank God what he's doing in the youth expansion and that is making room and is preparing for God by faith to do even greater things. But there needs to be a people in this place that are going to go after God. Amen? Amen. Come on, a people that are going to be passionate about their faith and are going to believe for the outpouring and the power of God. Let me tell you, all people need is one touch from God. That'll mock them. That'll change them. That'll revolutionize their life. Paul the Apostle, who was the chief of sinners, he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and he was forever mocked by God. You might have friends. You might have family members. You might have relatives that are so away from God. They could be the chief of sinners. All they need is one encounter, one power encounter with Almighty God, and they'll be changed. I want to ask you to move out of your seats this morning. I want to ask you this morning to passionately go after God in these next few moments to make a con. I'm going to ask you to do that right now. Would you move out of your seats? Come on. I'm looking for an older generation. I'm looking for a people who will push back and push aside the things of this world and say, God, I want to see you move. I want to see you work in this hour. Hallelujah. Come on, would you begin to pray right now all over this place before we sing one song, before one one word is sung, would you begin to pray right now? Would you begin to reach out and say, God, do it again. God, do it again. God, revive us again. God, touch your people once again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Come again, Holy Spirit. Come again, Lord. Baptize us again. God, create a hunger and a thirst in us again, Lord.